Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Um, hey, if you are with us in the room and you have a Bible or you have a phone that has a Bible on it, why don't you just open that up? And we're going to look at a couple verses in Colossians this morning. Uh, Emily Snyder and I have been doing a little tiny series uh, for the last three weeks here at the Vineyard that is essentially about this. Like, what, what's, the, what's the matter or what's the point of gathered worship? Like, why would we do this? You know, why would we come to this room? Why would we sing some songs, hear the scriptures, uh, hear some sort of like gospel good news? Why would, we do, why would we sit next to people we don't know, you know? Why would we be in a room with people who are maybe radically different than us? You know, and I think part of this is the point. How many of you know that this group of people would only show up for Jesus? Like there's not a sporting event that would gather this particular group of people. There's not a political rally for sure that would gather this group of people. There's, there's nothing that would, it, it's like Jesus. And this is, this is like part of the point, but there's a few scriptures in the New Testament that have these glancing uh, uh, theologies, these glancing uh, moments that, of, of informing us of what gathered worship is all about. And we, we actually read one in the beginning of this series. Emily uh, took us through a passage in Hebrews. Last week I was in Ephesians chapter 5, and this week I'm in Colossians chapter 3, just a couple spots. And I just want to tell you, Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians 5, it's the same message, okay? Like it's basically Paul riffing on the exact same stuff, almost in the exact same order. And there's just a few things that I want to read to you this morning. So maybe the first four verses, and then Seth, at the end, you, you know what to do. So here's what Paul says to the believers. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, maybe underline that, like your real life, your true life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now let's go to the end. There's a bunch of stuff in the middle. It's actually important too. But I wanted to bounce to the end because this is where you see some of the resonances with what we read last week. Paul says this, he says, let this message about Christ, meaning everything that was said before, in all its richness, let it fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And then here we are again, right? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Yeah. Um, how many of you were here last week or heard the passage in Ephesians 5? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And one of the reasons 
we wanted to look at these two passages, Ephesians 5 and Colossians in particular, is because part of what Paul is saying is, in the whole chapter, he's outlining a particular kind of life, right? Uh, There's a way in which you could read that life or read that passage and just think, oh, it's just a long list of do's and don'ts. It feels like rules, you know? And there's a sense in which maybe that is true, but if we were to maybe put a wider frame on it, what we would see is that this is not just simply a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just dogma, but instead what it is, is it's a frame that has to do with formation. And we talked about last night that every single person in here, uh, your life is like wet concrete and the older you get, the firmer it gets. And so the question is, is like, what is forming my life, right? Like what is forming my life? And Paul's saying in Ephesians 5, and then again today in Colossians 3, if you read the whole thing, I, I suggest that you do, Paul's saying that there are, there are things, there are things you can do, there are things that you should avoid, and in doing and in avoiding, you are building a particular kind of frame or form around your life, and as you get older, the concrete of your soul will set up in, in, a, in a way that will be actually beneficial to you and the world, and will actually remain not just for now, but will re- remain in the age to come. You know, that's the, that's the real, that's the real point here is like, do, do, do I want to, or am I becoming the kind of person who in the end will be formed for the age to come? Or to say it another way, what a bummer to enter the age to come only to find out I hate it. Right? That's the Dallas Willard form. But that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, there are some formational things we can give ourselves to that change who we are. Like, like what, if, what, if in this, what if in this current moment, what if in this current moment, like I was given to like tacit low-level racism and bigotry only to find out that in the age to come, everyone at the table is really different than me, you know? And suddenly I'm sharing a long table in God's presence with a bunch of people that I'd slowly formed myself to dislike for 80 years. That's a bummer, right? That's a bummer. And so Paul is saying there are formational practices we can give ourselves to that change us who we are, that prepare us for the age to come. That's why he's always talking about glory. And I also wanted to use these two passages because in both of them, Paul is speaking to the church and he's tying the bow on these passages by saying to the church, here's what you should do in your formation. Be sure you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And in in the context of these passages, it almost makes no sense. It's like, really? This is where you're landing? Except he knows there's something powerful about gathered Christian worship that changes who we are. Like it's important to be here. Like it's important to be here. Uh, And when we're here, it's important not just to be a body in the room, but to give ourselves to it. You know, Uh, this thing we did when we sang a couple songs a minute ago, it's not benign. If you give yourself to it, it will change who you are. Okay. Uh, Let me, let me say this. Left turn. How many of you are aware that the earth is not the center of the solar system? (laughs) One hand. (laughs) At least there's one. Good job, Jason Starr. You're raising your kids right. For everyone else, the earth is not the center of the solar system. I think most of us actually know that. I hope we do. But uh, here's what's weird. That knowledge has not always been common knowledge. In fact, 
in most of human history, people didn't know that. Not only did in most of human history people not know that, in most of human history, not only did they not know it, they didn't believe that. They believed something else. Here's what they believed for most of human history. Most people believed that the earth was the center of the solar system, right? And if you were an ancient person, and honestly, not even if you're an ancient person, if you're a modern person like me or you, it would be very easy to believe that the earth is the center of the solar system if you, if you didn't have advanced degrees in math and if you didn't have like telescopes and, and some, some advanced ways of like measuring things, it would be easy to believe that the earth is the center of the solar system because if you go outside at night and you just use the observational tools that you have, mostly your eyes, what happens? We were actually talking about this the other night. I was at Jeremy Charlo's house and Aaron and I were talking and he's like, look at that, look at that planet over there. It was like low on the horizon. And he says, he says to me this, this is why I started thinking about it. He says to me, I've been watching that planet for, for months. He goes, it starts there in the night sky and then in a few hours, it'll, it'll go down, right? And how many of you know that's what all of, human, all of human history, that's what people have been noticing, right? Like I'm standing on the earth and everything around me is doing what? It's moving, it's moving. But here's the trick. How many of you know that the earth is moving? How many of you know it doesn't feel like it's moving? This is a great metaphor for a lot of life. The earth is not the center of the solar system. It doesn't feel like we're moving. No one can conceive of the fact that all sorts of things are moving in space, including our own planet. And then along came Copernicus, upsetting science and theology with his assertion that the sun was at the center. Sometimes our grasp on reality is really fragile. Sometimes we think we know, but in, in reality, we don't know. So here's what I want to do this week. I want to read a couple uh, scriptures to you, or I want to just actually highlight a few scriptures to you out of Colossians. And here's what I want to say about those two passages this morning. Uh, I want to say that part of what gathered worship is, and part of what Paul is holding out to us, is that when we get together to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to hear the scriptures, to hear the good news, to share space with people who are really different than us, to share space with people who we would never maybe choose to know in any other way, uh, here's what I want to say about it. This kind of gathered worship is an on-ramp to reality. The passage that we read this morning is an on-ramp to, the, to a particular kind of reality. And that reality is, Seth, if we can put the first bit back up. The first bit of reality that's being on-ramped, that, that gathered worship is a container for, is this. That we've actually been raised with Christ already. This is the reality that sits at the center of the universe. It's not that we can be raised with Christ it's not even that we will be raised with Christ someday, but Paul says here in Colossians, and he actually says this elsewhere as well. He says, you have been raised with Christ. Not will be, not could be. It's not a prize for the spiritually ambitious. It's not a reward for the spiritual Navy SEALs, but it's already. Now, somebody in the room might be thinking, well, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's already. Yeah, it also doesn't feel like the sun is the center of the solar system. It doesn't feel that way, but it is. And of course, the fullness 
of our union with Christ is yet to arrive. But what is true of Jesus is already somehow true of us. Everything that God has done in his son, he has done for you and I. This is one of the reasons we come to church. We come to church to step into the reality that doesn't always feel true. Church is like advanced, it's, it's like an advanced, um, it's like a, an advanced telescope that gives you a window to the solar system that you could not have any other way. Church is like an advanced measuring device for reality that you couldn't otherwise grab hold of. What God has done in his son, he has done and he is doing in me. And here's the, here's the good news for everybody in the room. It's not because I'm faithful. It actually has nothing to do with my faithfulness. It's because he's faithful. Like in your very weakness, God is faithful. And here's what I wanted to say this morning. I wanted to say that this is a Christ-centered universe. Of course, it doesn't always feel like that. Uh, maybe it feels like something else. Maybe it feels as though something or someone else is at the center. Um, Maybe it feels like nothing's there. Some of us in the room may feel like, oh, the universe is just mostly emptiness. Or or maybe, maybe it feels like the center of life is entropy, like everything is just falling apart. Or maybe it feels like I'm at the center and my own desires kind of run the show. Uh, Here's the truth. Billions and billions of dollars are spent every single day trying to reinforce the message that you're at the center and I'm at the center. Like all marketing is you, what you want, you know? What do you want? That's the story that hits us over and over and over again. Or maybe it feels like, maybe it feels like evil is calling the shots. You know, if you read the news or if you watch the news a little bit and you see some of what's happening in the world, it would be pretty easy to deduce that some sort of like force beyond human comprehension or even sometimes even beyond human intelligence and human agency is running the world and calling the shots. Anybody like watched the news over the last few years? Have you, have you seen some of the things that have happened in Syria? Have you seen some of the things that have happened in like even in Africa right now? How many of you have seen what's happening in Ethiopia right now? You know, and you could look at that and go, this is, this is, what is going on here? How is this really happening? You might think, well, evil is calling the shots. Or maybe there's something else. Or maybe it seems like we're all caught in some sort of a dark gravity that doesn't really have our best interest in mind. But, but here's the reality that Paul gives us this morning. The reality is this, that Jesus Christ is at the center Uh, The resurrected Jesus is at the center, the one who has overcome death and decay. And so whatever is ahead, uh, whatever it is that's ahead, all of it is bending towards redemption and renewal. That's what's happening. The whole universe is bending towards redemption, healing, and renewal. In the short term, there could still be great difficulty. So here's what I'm not saying. Your life is going to be easy. Uh, no, uh, in fact, your life might get really, really difficult. In fact, you could, you could be very faithful to Jesus and your family, and you may have decades of hardship. But what I am saying is that in the end, all of the hardship we endure, it will be embraced by God. It will be filled in. It will be 
healed. It will be reconciled. It will be renewed. What I am saying is that death and decay will not have the last word. Entropy will not be the end. In the end, resurrection will fill every inch of the cosmos. And the other thing I want to say is that gathered worship is a doorway into that room. It's like, it's like, you guys remember the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? You remember how, you know, they're just playing, right? And then somebody falls through the back of the closet, right? Yeah, that's, that's the best metaphor for Christian worship that I know. Gathered worship is, is a door in the back of a wardrobe you didn't know was there, leading you to a world you didn't know existed. Everything else feels real, but the thing under the thing is actually more real and we need regular contact with it because otherwise we think, we think everything else is moving, not realizing that we're also moving. Uh, otherwise, we get caught in some other gravity. Uh, otherwise, we think, oh, the thing that's at the center of the universe is like my own happiness or the thing that's at the center of the universe is a particular political party who has some power. Or do we think the thing that's at the center of the universe is whatever evil is happening out there or in my neighborhood. But the truth is, God has done something in his son. He is doing it in you. The very resurrection life that raised Jesus is already at work in you and, at, and in me and in this community and in our city and in our world. And it may not feel real yet, but it is actually at work and we need to see it and begin to enter into that story. Let me say it to you a different way, agriculturally. You plant a seed. It goes in the dark. You cover it up. It gets a little rain. And that sucker looks dead, doesn't it? Have you ever held a seed in your hand? Is there anything, is there anything less impressive? Think about it. Like you, you, you plant this little, it looks so dry and dead, right? But all it needs is a little soil contact. And how many of you know that before there's ever a shoot that comes out of the ground, there will be a tender root that goes into the ground. And before you can see the life, it is already alive. Before you can measure it, before you can feel it, there are roots that are doing things. This is resurrection life. Let, let me say it in an opposite way, like a very, very opposite way. Uh, how many of you have ever gone out and cleaned out a fence row? Anybody ever done that? It's terrible work. <laughs> I highly do not recommend it. <laughs> but you can cut down a cedar tree and a cedar tree will stay green sometimes for months. How many of you know that that cedar tree might look alive, but it is dead, right? Like our grasp on reality is not always telling us the full story. Resurrection is already at work. And so gathered, here, gathered worship here at the vineyard is about three things. In particular, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. You'll be a super Christian. The first, thing, the first thing that gathered worship here at the Vineyard is about is this. Number one, it's about entering the story of God. That there is a God. He's a creator. He's a good God. We sang it this morning, right? We sang it. All of my life, you have been faithful. What are those words doing for us? They're putting some forms around the wet concrete of our life. They're reorienting the center. And we're saying, you know what? It's not that I've been faithful. It's that there is a God and he's good and he's faithful. All my life you've been faithful. That's it. 
It's about entering the story of God. And I would say this as well, not as observers, but as participants. Like when we show up here and you sit in the purple chairs, it's not about being an observer. It's not about being like, you know, I'm just too masculine. Or I'm an introvert. Dude, I'm an introvert. Are you kidding me? It's not about entering the story of of God as an observer, but as a participant. Whatever that means, to give ourselves and to enter in. Uh, Number two, it's about proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. As, As the ruler, the boss, Lord, and as the Savior, merciful and kind, right? Jesus is not either or, he is both and and, and gathered worship here at the vineyard is about like highlighting that and centering that. And then number three, finding ourselves held in the unyielding gravity of Jesus, the center. Like uh, in your worst moment, here's what you need to know. You are held in the unyielding gravity of Jesus. Like in the moment where you thought that you were trying to like shoot the rocket ship of your life in some other trajectory, go for it. His gravity will eventually bring you back. You don't have the fuel for it. That's what I'm here to tell you. Like you you might think, well, you don't understand. I've I've got a major addiction in my life. Awesome. That is wonderful. Your addiction does not have the fuel to break free of the unyielding gravity of Jesus and his love for you. Like you do not like, like give yourself to all the addiction you want to give yourself to. You know, some of you are like, wow, I don't know if you should be saying that. (laughs) Go for it. Try it out. I'm not saying it won't ruin your life, but what I am telling you this is it will not change God's opinion about you. Like even in the bottom, like even in the bottom, you cannot out addiction the kindness of God. You will never break free of his unyielding gravity. And so that's part of what this gathering is about. It's about entering into a space where, where, where your worth is never questioned and where your performance is not connected to God's kindness for you. You know, you walk out that door, I will tell you this, every single thing on the outside of that door is about like your performance, you know, and your worth is ultimately always being measured and connected and valued and weighed somewhere else. But in here, in here, you were held in the unyielding gravity of Jesus's arms and you'll never break free of it. And so we want to enter into that story. Okay. Right turn, forms and imagination. When we read passages like Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, Paul is inviting us to have our imaginations formed. Notice what he says here in verse 1. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Uh, How many of you know that none of us have been to heaven? (laughs) I don't know what it's like. Uh, How many of you know that no one in the room knows what it's like? The only thing we can do is to have our imaginations formed. This is actually an invitation to imagination. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. In the next verse, I think, he says, think about. Hey, Seth, won't you change it? Thank you. Think about the things of heaven and not of earth. And here's what I want you to see this morning. that These are invitations to a particular kind of formation. And I want you to know this. These are not invitations to escape. This is not escape hatch theology. This is not simply the earth is bad and heaven is good. Paul never 
ever, ever says that. This is not like simple dualism. Instead, it's entrance into God's space. And when, so when, God, when Paul is talking about heaven here, he's not talking about angels on little clouds. He's not talking about sentimentality. He's talking about God's space where his rule and his reign and where his will is done. Set your imagination, set your imagination up for this. Begin to dwell on, think about, think about a space where God's will is done. Think about God's space, the place where love and mercy endure, the place where the weak and lowly find rest, the place where our real life is located as opposed to our fake life. Think about that for a moment. Think about your real life. Paul says in these first four verses, he says, he says, your real life is hidden with Christ right now, as opposed to your fake life, right? Think about your real life. And you might be thinking, well, what is your real life? It's, it's, it's you, it's you under the influence of God's love. That's your real life. You're, you, it's you not resisting the embrace of God. That's your real life. It's your true self. It's yourself completely aligned with Jesus. Anybody ever done a thought experiment like this to think about who you would be completely aligned with God? Like you not resisting, like how do you show up then? yourself completely embraced by God. Imagine yourself renewed and healed, free from insecurity and sin. Yourself so, so secure in the gravity of Jesus that when people treat you bad, you're able to keep showing up as your true self. That's what Paul says. He's like, think about that. Think about the part of you that is hidden with God. Not petty, not vengeful, not angry, but true and kind. And here's what I want to say to everybody in the room this morning. All of that is available now. Like you can be that person now. That kind of life is already at work. You have been crucified, buried, and raised with Jesus already. Not later, but you can begin to lean into that now. This is why we gather. We gather to enter this story. It's God's redeeming story. It's the story of Jesus. And here's what I've found for myself. I've found that if I can find it in, in Jesus, I can eventually find it in myself. This is why we keep coming back to the story of Jesus. So that if I can see it in him over and over again, I, I pick it up. I pick it up. Uh, how many of you have ever heard that uh, one way to understand yourself is something like this, uh, that everyone in the room is a composite of the five people you spend the most time with? Anybody, anybody ever heard that? It's actually pretty dang true. It's like change your friends, you'll change. Change your associations, you change. Change who you hang out with, you change. Uh, change the group that you're with. All of a sudden, it has profound formational like, implications on your life. Well, why do we do this thing like come to church? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we listen to Marcus read the scriptures to us? Why do you, why do you listen to me for 25 or 30 minutes? Uh, here's why. Because, not because you can hear any of us, but so that you could hear the story of Jesus. Because the more you're in the presence of Jesus, encountering the story of Jesus, it's like you're adding a fifth friend to your circle and you will be like him. If you can find it in him, it'll, you'll eventually find it in yourself. You know, I just, I keep coming back lately to that story in Mark chapter one, where the leper guy comes to Jesus and is like, falls at Jesus' feet. And he's like, hey, I know you're able, but are you willing? 
Jesus reaches out his hand and says, hi, I'm willing. Are you kidding me? I'm totally willing. Touches the leper guy, breaks all these rules. It's like, it's insane. I keep coming back to the Jesus who was willing, not just able. Like able is, is hardly even, I don't know, like the Jesus who is able, that's not a mind jump for me anymore. But the Jesus who is willing, that sometimes feels further away and I keep coming back to it. And, and I'm, I'm being formed right now by the, the Jesus who is willing. And by, by the way, the reason I want to be formed by the Jesus who is willing is because so often I am unwilling, right? Like compassion is freaking inconvenient and it sucks sometimes, right? It's like, dude, it's Tuesday. I've got meetings. <laughs> do you know how many Zooms I have to do? Yeah. But I, I want to be formed by the Jesus who is willing. Why? Because if I can find it in him, I'll eventually find it in me. That's why. We read the scriptures. We worship. We sing songs that honor and make Jesus the center. This is why we pray. This is why we receive communion. Uh, last week we had baptisms, which is it's another moment of entering the story. Rowan and Jackson were buried in baptism and raised to new life. And every single person who showed up got to see it. And in seeing it, got to see the story again. And you need to see the story. Here's the last thing I want to say. Sometimes it starts with a song or a prayer. Sometimes before we can set our sights or think about things in heaven, we have to sing it or we have to pray it or we have to hear it at church. Paul says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor. And sometimes we start by making Christ a place of honor in our gathered worship, you know? Sometimes it's hard to give Christ a seat of honor on Monday if we haven't done it on Sunday. Sometimes it's hard to even have an imagination for that during the week if we haven't done it here. This is powerful stuff that we're doing. This is not benign. These are forms that are coming around the concrete of your life. Sometimes that invitation is corporate before it's ever personal. And sometimes that formation begins here, and then it ripples outward. Here's why that's important. And I've said it a couple times this morning. I want to say it again as we end. I want to say this, that every other model, every other model is flawed. All the other models are flawed. Every other picture of reality is compromised. Any picture of reality that doesn't include mercy is flawed. Any picture of reality that doesn't include the embrace of God is compromised. Every other story is fractured except this one. Jesus dead, buried, and raised, and along with him, you and I, along with him, you and I, that story will never fracture. That one's the center of the universe. We are all held in that gravity that in our weakness, it's not the end, that our sin doesn't have the last word, and that ruin will not win. That's the story we have to see over and over and over again so we can live it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.